Welcome back to another episode of Sports Medicine on Tap. My name is Brandon Alai here at Neck of the Woods Brewing Company in Pittman, New Jersey, located in the Total Turf Experience. Sitting here with Frank and Dr. Frey. Dr. Frey, how are we doing today? Awesome. It's great, great to, to be, be back. back. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, love it. It's always funny. We kind of, I think it's almost without a doubt, every time we go a little hiatus of a couple of weeks, yeah. first thing we say, so it's great to be back. So exciting. Yeah. And you know, we had all this enthusiasm. I was we all did. jazzed up, you know, it was like a month ago now. I know. And we're like, here we are. We're going to go every week again. Then I was away for a week. Paris Life and London was yeah. awesome. We had a, you know, just another scheduling conflict. But now, right. now we're back. Now we're here. Possibly every other week, right? Yeah. Like trying to make it work a little more reasonably. Right. We've covered so many injuries that the, the coverable injuries are a little further, fewer and further between. Right, but, right, but, right. But with regularity now, let's try to do it. Absolutely. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, Frank, Frank. Frank's back. They are back in my neck of the woods. That's right. <laughs> That's right, right? That's neck right. Of the woods, yes, and I'm very happy to be here as well. Fantastic to be here. Great group of guys here we have, and uh, cheers to that. Cheers yeah, to that, cheers man. To that. I got to tell you, Frank, I walked in. You got the second the second uh, check tap. The, and oh, yeah, the side four tap. Side four. And uh, you said, that one, give him that one. Uh, as soon as I drank it, this is one of the best beers I've ever had. This yeah, so that's our uh, our check Pilsner. Right. So, know, so good. Yeah. Uh, last last podcast, we were talking about the uh, American style Pilsner, right. the Jaws is John. Right. So this is the Czech style Pilsner, yeah. just different water, water profile, softer body, just very unique, especially when it's poured off of that side tap. And even the foam, right? You get the foam and it's the foam tastes good. Well, because there's proteins in there that make it, <laughs> you know, that's good for you, right? Right, right, right. And we'll be doing another tube. Was it, was it milkshake? Is that Oh, uh, yeah, the milkshakes, milk tubes. The milk yeah, tube. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's basically a, a post-show endeavor. Yeah. That's when we finish up. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how we end the show. It's a good uh, nightcap on that end. But what, what is this stuff you got out here for us right yeah, now? Oh, so uh, we have a plethora right here. We have our flights. Uh, so I thought I'd start out with one of our bottle releases that we had done just a couple weeks ago, which uh, which is another lager. This right. time it was our Mexican lager, our El Lote P. All right. Which, okay. uh, believe it or not, we put in a Chardonnay barrel, wine barrel, and then put a little bit of different yeast in there as well, a little Saison yeast. Right. Let it sit there for eight months. Eight kind of months. Eight months to kind of grow a little bit into the wood, get a little bit of oaky character to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, while maintaining some of the funky characteristics that like a Saison yeast gives. Right. So a little bit different than just your, your ordinary Mexican lager, which, you know, Mexican lagers traditionally in America, we consume the Corona, you know, right. that, yeah. that's going to be your, your Mexican style. Kind of your standard. Right. So we had dry hopped this. We took some 20 pounds of limes and, and zested all that up and put it in there as well. Right. So what we're drinking here is probably uh, a, a good um, almost year old dinner. So seriously, this is a year old in this. Uh, yeah. All right. Help me understand this a little better. You did it in a cask, right? Um, Chardonnay cask or, uh, or Chardonnay barrel. barrel. I'm sorry. More, more barrel. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, do you just get one barrel's worth of beer or is it like, is it expanded at some point? Is it started in the barrel? Then is it expanded or is that how much beer that, that gets produced and that's, that's, that's it. That's the lot. And then you're done. Yeah. So traditionally wine barrels will hold about 58 gallons. Mm -hmm. 58 okay. Gallons. When we make a batch so, of, like a night or two, 
No, no. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey. One hell of a night, right? <laughs> Very memorable or not so memorable. Not so memorable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 58 gallons of beer goes into that barrel. But when we make beer here every turn, we're putting out about 310 gallons. Right. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the majority of that went into Select our stainless that. steel, mm-hmm. whereas 58 gallons went to go live inside this, this oak barrel where you, you really never know what it's going to turn out to be. I see. So you, you brewed your 300 and something gallons. Most of it went right out and 50 or so went into this barrel. Yeah, and because they hung out there for eight months and just got better. Yeah, because when we, when we do, uh, put beer in stainless steel, we expose it to almost like a, a, a clean aseptic Right. surface almost like we're in the operating room right right okay right, right. everything is super clean not there's, a great place for beer but all right uh, well you know <laughs> hey people come back and they say hey this this place back here looks like it's an operating room yeah hey, i know that's how it's got to be yeah that's that's the real job that i do on the side yeah right, right. um but yeah i mean this this is sitting inside of a, a oak barrel you know where it's exposed to anything at that point i mean yeah. there, there, any different type of bacteria mm-hmm. can get in there so you you really never know the complexity and character that's going to come out of this and uh i don't know i think it speaks for itself yeah i I brewed a few batches on my own and and it's not the same thing as you brewing some batches but i know that's like the big no-no right everything has to be sterile every step of the way you clean it you clean it you clean it you clean it and if any bacteria gets in there the whole batch is pretty pretty much gone yeah and and that comes second nature to us that's our that's our job like full-time job we're always about sterility now that this, translates well to the OR. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like this goes against all the rules of right. the OR. Right. You know, and you, you just right. never know what's going to come out. It's a you, barrel. You, you hope that the alcohol percent that you started with will kind of ward off germs. Right. But you you, you just never know. Never know. Now, right. not going wood. Oh, so that's a big difference, right? It has alcohol in it by the time it hits the barrel. So it's okay. Whereas when you're brewing it, there's no alcohol at the beginning, so it can be contaminated and ruined. That's much correct. More, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that helps when, when, when you're dumping it and it had, whether it's bourbon, whether it's a spirit, whatever it be, there, there is some protection of some sort. As long right. as you put beer into a wet barrel, I mean, yeah. so that the spirit or wine is still kind of there. Yeah. Right. Uh, as opposed to going into a very dry barrel. So. Cool. So, yeah. all right, so, so is that where we're about to, to, to dabble in right now? Yeah, this is our uh, El Lote P. All right. All right. Cheers. 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 Oh, man, that's good. Oh, yeah, I can taste a barrel in there. You can actually taste like a tiny bit of like Chardonnay. Oh, 100%. Yeah, wow. I mean, that white wine really comes through. You get that oaky, mm-hmm. um, that's earthy oaky flavor. butter and beer. There you go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's very in, yeah. It's very interesting also with these barrels because they're, they're right back there in a the production area, right? And and whether or your your environment of the the temperature of the room is going to affect that because in the winter months when it's cold back there and that wood kind of starts to denser, like it's stiff, right? Exactly. You know, so at that point, it's it's going to contain the the beer more or less outside of the wood but as you know it starts to warm up yeah and all of a sudden that wood starts to open up right and the beer goes inside of the wood that's where it's getting you know some of those oaky right and, and earthy characteristics to it it really is it's great man and like far much more of a science than you would ever expect or ever anticipate mm-hmm. you know man that's really good thank you very much yeah that, that's really good 
it, it has a very interesting taste. Like the, I can taste the like the wine profile of it, but it's really good. Right. Right. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be tasting our sour supernova. Okay. And that is uh, a beer that we also put into wine barrels. Now we purposely put bacteria in those wine barrels okay. and let that sit for 18 months. Not sure I like where this is going. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So, so we, we tasted this uh, a couple of weeks ago because throughout the process, we do have to take samples. Yeah. Right. When I tell you this tastes just like a white wine, uh -huh. and now once we add carbon dioxide to it, mm. look out. You right. got a champagne. Seriously. It's going to, well, we can't call it a champagne. Yeah, of course not. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the champagne not, yeah. not region of France. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be, uh, yeah, next podcast, I think uh, we'll, we'll do a little Maybe taste test of that. I like yeah. it. Because that's like going to be going into bottles uh, mid-December, so we can have that out there for New Year's Eve. That would be perfect. Yes. That's brilliant, too. There we go. All right. All right. Um, all right. So what's, what's next on the list here? So next on the list, we have a, a variation of our stay in the car, Frank. Yeah. So that's our flagship beer here. Talk We've about done. it all the time. It's a yeah, good, one I of mean, my favorites. I yeah. Have to say. It's just like one of those beers that you just can go back to and, and easily identify and be like, yes, I, I, I in, thoroughly enjoy that beer. So what we're trying to do is a little offsets of that. And for this one, we did more or less like a holiday ale with it. Yeah, so okay. use the same hops, our Citra, Eldorado and Mosaic which are in the Stay in the Car Frank OG recipe, and changed up the uh, grains a little bit to add a little bit of color to it. And then took about 20 pounds of oranges, zested all those guys up, added a little bit of honey, and now we have a winter ale. Wow. Hell yeah. Tis the season. Tis the season. Tis the season, absolutely. And for the listeners out there, Frank is here. He, he got us a flight of all the beers that he... Or, coming out for the, it's a seasonal right frank it's a seasonal release yes that's going to be uh put in the cans next tuesday okay so we're we get an extra early week preview of what what's going on so frank's out here pouring us glasses from the from the flight oh man and we're so tasting good. them live on the show for everybody Thank you, sir so actually this came right from the fermentation tank so this is almost done Mm -hmm. but not done yet okay. because we didn't add carbon dioxide to it. That's okay. interesting. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, so you'll notice, you know, a flatter taste, but you're definitely going to pick up on all those flavors that I just talked to you about, Yeah, which are going to be intensified once we add the carbon dioxide right, right, right. in two days. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a little bit about something about that in a few minutes once, once, once because I was just in London and uh, I think I kind of dig the whole flat thing. I hate to say it. Isn't that crazy? But yeah, let's give this one a taste. Sorry. Absolutely. Cheers, Cheers on this Cheers. one. Yep. Oh yeah, that's that's really good. See, it's it's it's. Uh, I'll ask you more about it once we get to the cask. Uh, I'm gonna start talking about some cask. <laughs> yeah. So so same Frank flavor here, yep. but with the addition of a little bit of orange, a little bit of honey. Yeah. And then also you for can this, taste the honey for sure. Yeah. yeah. And and then also for this one. We bittered it just a little bit more to kind of balance out that that sweetness that you might get from the honey right, and the right, right. orange. Right. Because you don't want to be too sweet on beer. Right. Unless that is the style that you're looking for. This one being an IPA, you definitely want more balance. Right. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Let me ask you a couple of questions. So I was just in, uh, like I said, we, we missed one of our weeks. A great family vacation. Very lucky that we get to do it. We did, um, took a week. Um, New Jersey week, for those of you who don't know, in New Jersey in the in the fall, parent teachers, there's like teacher conferences and whatnot. Mm -hmm. 
all the kids are off for like a week and in, 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 like in, in Florida and in Disney, they call it Jersey week because they have to be there from New Jersey. That yeah, basically week. the state shuts down. State yeah, shuts right? down, right. So, so we were super lucky. We, we made a big trip out. We did, uh, took our kids to Europe and um, London and Paris. And it was pretty sure, three days in each. First, first, we just said, we're just talking about uh, walking along in Paris, uh, River, uh, River Scene, I think is how you pronounce it. Although I may have just totally butchered that. And naked guy swimming right down the middle, like a 16 year old <laughs> naked guy swimming right down the middle and like just like indignant, like wouldn't police are trying to pull him out of the river, just pushing the boat out of the way. Wouldn't, wouldn't do it. Like, but anyway, when we're, we're in, when we're in London, I got, I love the pubs, man. I love it. At one point we reached a point where like everybody wanted a little bit of downtime. My son wanted to go do something. My wife's like, Oh, I'll, I'll take him over there. My, my daughter's like, I just want to hang out, go back to the room, just hang out for a little, I just need to, you know, chill. I was like, I'll go to the pub. Like, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to the pub. I'd be interesting to know, like, of the pubs that you went to, right. how many beers did they have on tap? I thought there was going to be more. It sounds, yeah. it sounds insane. Do you know why? I, 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 I'm not entirely sure why. Because over in Europe, specifically England and some other countries have the, these rules against, you know, like labor laws, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of these, these pubs were, were built in, like, old cities I mean, right yeah. where refrigeration so from them, compared to what we're used to yeah. yeah i mean refrigeration was the basement right you know? right so could you imagine lugging kegs up and down these very narrow stairways yeah. and this that and the other thing right so instead what they do is they have tanks that are inside right. of there and the tank truck shows up brings out his hose yeah. and connects it to the tank yeah. and pushes the beer right into their tanks so yeah, no, I was really surprised by the fact that there aren't that many taps, and and then this one pub had cask beers, which I, I kind of got the impression maybe like kind of like their lower grade beers or whatnot. Like I'm not as much as the IPA kind of guy. I tend to like a little bit more malty, a little like like you know like weedier and fuller and whatnot. And they had uh, uh, I guess it's Abbott's. It was like an old 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 beer um, that was cask beer. I, I could have sat there all night and just, just knocking them down. It was <laughs> phenomenal. And so, as a doctor, you should be able to tell me why. What's that? Why? As a doctor, there. you yeah. should be able to tell me why. Oh, I'm disappointed. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Like, it's very different. <laughs> Come on. No, that carbon dioxide. <laughs> right, right. So, so those yeah. cask beers, that right. carbon dioxide level is so much lower so that, I was than, right. than what we're drinking right now. The same fizz, right. You right, know, right. and... and Think about it. You know, when you drink a soda that's mm-hmm. highly carbonated and yeah. goes into your stomach and all of a sudden you got to burp it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Know? And it fills you up. It goes down so smoothly, man. Mm-hmm. Those casks. And it, it's so, so yeah. tasty. I mean, so when you don't have that uh, carbonation at that that higher volume. Look, every beer that we make, mm-hmm. every style is dialed into a specific carbonation. So if it's a sour style beer versus an IPA versus a dark beer. Uh-huh versus a lager. Mm-hmm. They're all going to have different levels of carbonation. And that's just built off of, you know, the styles and, uh, you know, how, how they've done things in the past, more right. or less. Right. Uh, like this Czech one probably has a little more. Uh, it's, it certainly does. It's, it's, and that's you know, why Flom is so good. So 2.72 to be actually precise. Uh, whereas, you know, this, this bourbon dark one that we have on, on the, the horizon here. It's I mean, getting, you can see, look, right now, there's there's really no dark. carbonation right. here. Right. Yeah. Wow. You know, because that beer is supposed to I be... I might just grab it and suck it down right here. And that, no. <laughs> you know, you got to be patient. We yeah, got to yeah, let yeah. that warm up, too. Yeah. All right. That's that's enough. Temperature is going to influence the taste, now, which stick, cask beer is a little bit a warmer. Little warmer. Which I, I know it sounds silly, but I, I, 
I kind of dig it. I yeah. like I like it slightly warmer than like super super cold beer. Yeah, I mean beer in general, it's it's a very. I think you taste the flavor more. Y- you do. I mean, th- depending yeah. upon many different variables, and and honestly. When people come to the brewery or a bar or a mm-hmm. restaurant, whatever, and they see somebody pour beer out of a faucet, mm-hmm. out of the beer taps, mm-hmm. think that it's a rather easy thing to do. Well, balancing that system of all these different <coughs> style of beers right. is, is a very difficult task. Yeah. Because you want to dial in that correct carbonation for the intended style of beer that, Seriously. that you're presenting. I would not have anticipated that being like a factor. Oh, it is such a factor. But um, hey, in the end of the day, it's just a beer and it's supposed to be enjoyed with your, your compadres here. And uh, yeah. All right. Can, can we put these on hold for a few minutes? Start talking about some of the, uh, the, the, the injury stuff that we want yeah, to talk about that. and bounce back for a little bit. Yeah, for absolutely. The, the, 100%. All right. All right. So we're, we're here tonight and we're, we're talking about Justin Fields, quarterback from the Chicago Bears this past Sunday. Uh, got taken out of the game, carted off the field with a left shoulder injury, which is a non-throwing shoulder. So with mo- most of these things, with injuries that happen, I-, I avidly watch football on Sundays. I'm pretty much glued to my couch and the TV, pending what's going on. And anytime something happens, it's just, pretty pretty just, straightforward. I text Dr. Frey, I'm like, hey, you, this is what happened. I sent him a clip or I sent him something. It's like, we got to figure out how we can talk about this it. This is it. This is the one. Right, this is the right, one. Right, right. And we've had a few. There's been a lot of things going on in the NFL, like a lot of big names. But again, like Dr. Frey said, we touched on a lot of these topics, you yeah. know, <clears throat> I mentioned we're talking about Justin Fields, but, you know, recently, just a quick overview, like Cooper Cup, you know, one of the best receivers in the league goes out with a high ankle sprain. Sounds well, like big news. Big news. But hey, you know, check back a couple episodes ago. We just talked about the high ankle sprain <laughs> not too long ago. You know, a lot. Of, <clears throat> and, you know, you hear about the ACLs all the time. We cover right. that. We, 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 you know, beat that up a little bit. And we may revisit it again yeah. just because it's such a common topic. Oh, but, absolutely. And but there, you got to be selective. There's always ch- changes and stuff. So it was an interesting thing, you know, with looking up the information and I, I kind of rely on ESPN, Twitter, Sports Illustrated, a bunch of internet resources to see what's going on. And the Justin Fields case was pretty interesting because it was initially reported by NFL Network reporter that he dislocated his shoulder. Right. <clears throat> and it came out that he had shoulder dislocation. And so there was, that was one report. The second report, he re-aggravated an old injury. Yeah. A third report saying, oh, it's not it's not a dislocation. It's that's There's a firm that it was not a dislocation. It was something else. Currently, he's day to day. Did subluxation ever right. come up as, as a topic or no? Not that I not that I've seen. Um, I'm sure it, it's going to be you know kind of something that comes out. You know, as as mentioned before, we record the show on Tuesdays. There's been some reports saying that because of the NFL practice schedules, that the initial injury report doesn't really come out till Wednesday. Right. Today they did say that he's day to day. I mean, when I was setting up in the brewery, ESPN's on, and it did come up on the bottom. Justin Fields day to day was shoulder injury. So it, we know that. And it was funny because sometimes I'll, I told Dr. Frey earlier, I'll go down our Twitter rabbit hole a little bit and just try to compare sources and see what's going on. Right. And it's been back and forth, back and forth. So I was like, that's kind of good for us. We Heck can, yeah. We yeah, can speculate too because we can yeah. go back and forth and see what the outcomes could be differently and how if it's a dislocation, what it could look like. And then, right. then we can also, we're also going to branch into if it's just AC joint injury, kind of what that looks like. And, li- and like we said at thousand times here we don't actually have access to their medical charts right like we're not we're not we're not revealing their own specific right. medical um like private medical information right we're just making guesses based on what information was re- released publicly and sort of applying that to general information mm-hmm. about, about that particular injury you know I, I do wonder a little bit with this one i hope it's a like the confusion here um right. the media reports is a byproduct of just just 
the information that's being released as opposed to a byproduct of they're not really sure which one it was. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's something you could usually figure out relatively quickly. Right, right, right. Was this a primary injury or had he had any injury to his shoulder before? There was some report saying he re-aggravated something old. So it was right. like, okay. And even, that can go either way still, Either way right? still, yeah. right? It doesn't give you one, give you a lead way to one way or the other. It's yeah. like, yeah, he could have a history of dislocations. We've, yeah. we've seen the people, you know, in the world of sports having chronic dislocation problems where they sublux and they have see a it all the time, loose shoulder. It's loose way shoulder, too often, right, right? right? And then you also have someone who plays a contact sport mm -hmm. like football. And Justin Fields is a mobile quarterback. He runs a lot. He does get take a lot of hits. He yeah. doesn't throw the ball too, too much, but yeah. he gets hit a lot. So that contact on the shoulder, good, good compression force, can mess up with that AC joint. So sure. it's just like, it really could be anything at this rate. Right. So we're, now we're here. A lot of similarities here with the the whole Baker uh, Baker Mayweather uh, injury from last year. Yep, yep. And we talked about that one actually on the on the show mm -hmm. earlier on, but but that was a subluxation event if I remember right. correctly. And now there's there it, seems, it sounds like they're pretty distinctly saying this is not that not subluxation. Right. He either dislocated or separated the shoulder. Well, yeah. when you say subluxation, what exactly does that mean? Well, first I'll, I'll go through all three, right? Like, so someone, if someone says they separated their shoulder, they're not talking about the ball and socket joint of the shoulder. They're talking about the, the, the joint that's right above that, where your, your collarbone, your clavicle uh, makes a joint with the end, very tip of your shoulder, the acromion. And so those two bones there um, can actually become separated. You can mm -hmm. have an injury, you can tear some ligaments, and there are varying degrees of how separated it, those two mm -hmm. bones become, that joint becomes. And we typically don't refer to that as a dislocation, more of a separation. And that's one whole pathway. That's an entirely different right. injury and its uh, expectations are entirely different. Then right below that joint is the ball and socket joint of mm -hmm. the shoulders. If you put your arm up in the air, that's where the, the motion takes place in that ball and socket joint for the most part. That's your glenal, glenohumeral joint. Mm -hmm. um, the glenoid being the, the socket on the scapula, the humerus being the uh, long arm of the bone and the, and the ball there at the top. So you can have varying degrees of injury to that mm -hmm. joint, to the glenohumeral joint. You can have this mild injury where the ball sort of rolls off the socket, mm -hmm. doesn't go all the way off, just kind of moves to the edge and then bounces back. Um, and that's more of a subluxation where it, it went further than it was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. You may have injured some of the ligaments. You may have even injured the labrum, which is like a rubber gasket in there versus a dislocation where the ball actually slides off the socket where mm -hmm. the, the golf ball rolled off the golf tee temporarily. And um, there are two versions of that where it rolls off and stays off and you got to go to the ER or, um, you know, if I'm standing there on the sideline, someone comes running over and pops it back in for you. And there's uh, another version where it full on dislocates, it, like it, the ball rolls off, but then it spontaneously backs, um, pops back in on its own, where you didn't have somebody else have to pop it back right. in for you. But that's still a dislocation, not a subluxation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, right now we're trying to figure out, I think, for 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 um, Justin Fields, is this an AC joint injury above the ball and socket joint of the shoulder, or is this a dislocation the ball and socket joint injury mm -hmm. in and of itself and once you have one especially the dislocation you're you're more likely to have more down the road right because yeah. the the foundation's already kind of messed up there so that thing's going to be unfortunately a little loose and unstable yeah. and then you get put in an unstable position and 
you know, I always compare football to you're getting a mini car accident for 60 minutes on a turf field. So like, yeah, you get hit hard enough that thing could pop out or something like that. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so guys that dislocate, right. If you dislocate under the age of about 20 years old, mm-hmm. that, that there's about a 90% chance you're dislocating again at some point yeah. down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and that really guides our decision-making in terms of, you know, are we going to do this without surgery or with surgery or whatnot? Mm-hmm. And then there's more to it and we'll get into it as, as, as we roll along. But yeah, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's, once it happens, it's pretty common. So right. you see more ligament damage than with the dislocation than the subluxation? I don't think that it's necessarily more damage. In fact, I'd almost argue maybe a little less ligament damage, but just more important ligaments, like more because you don't have any structural stability from the shape of the ball and socket in the shoulder. Right. Once you lose that soft tissue, um, those soft tissue restraints, it's going to happen again. Yes, yeah, so the stability of the joint is definitely altered from that point on. And then that's right. You see it all the time in the world of sports medicine and athletic training and everything. Yeah. You get somebody, you can do all the rehab, you can get it stable, and then you get them back in the game because it's whatever the case is, and then something weird happens and it comes out again. Doesn't take much. And then, like like he's, like Dr. Frey mentioned too, and if you're having these recurrent dislocations, you're going to keep rubbing. You can have the risk of rubbing bone on bone. Then right. You can do some damage wear to Wear down it. the bone. Wear down yeah, the bones yeah, because right. of all the damage. And over time, yeah. I remember a few years ago, I had a basketball player who was a chronic dislocator, and he right. just kept dislocating, but he never wanted to miss time. He's like, no, 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 I can do it. I know the rehab, I'll do it, I'll be fine. He always, but then it came to a point, he played basketball, he couldn't play defense, he only could go one arm. So I was like, buddy, you realize you can't block a ball with your left hand anymore. Like, we, have to, fix, we, we have to fix it. Like, yeah. you can do everything but play defense. So, what good are you going to do if you want to try to go to the next level or whatever right. the case is? And it's a thing, it's like, ah, you know, you know, Brandon, it, it, you're right. You find like it takes a while sometimes because it's like, oh, I could just get it back in, but yeah, right. But then, you're a 20 year old kid in college. You want to lift your kid up when you're, you know, 30, like you're not going to have a shoulder. Right. You got to think long term here too. Is like, it's always like, I always bring that up. Like in college kids, they never think about it. Right. They're like, Oh, just let me play the game. Furthest thing from their mind. Right. They're invincible, man. Oh, absolutely. But it's like, dude, you got to make it past this. And so so it's interesting that you're talking about this because the indications for surgery are slowly going down. Like it doesn't take quite as much. much right. Yeah, because because of that, multiple dislocations will could eventually make it harder right. to get it fixed, so that you're not going to recur. You're not mm-hmm. going to dislocate again. You know. And, and, and so, Frank, let's say, and let me ask you a question, man. So, first time dislocator, and it's not it's not it's not subluxation. It's not the one that pops back in. Guy is out, totally dislocated. You come into the emergency room, or even 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 more significant you can't get in they're going to the operating room what are the some of the anesthesia options that we're looking at here to try to because this is painful right well, yeah These that first that first stuff. injury is going to be very yeah. painful yeah. you know and you know i luckily for us from the anesthesia side of things right. our our orthopedic compadres there are, <laughs> are skilled in administering some anesthesia right but um no, honestly, th- those patients do require a lot of anesthesia right. to, to get down. And, and there's, you know, multiple different things that can be done, whether it's, you know, an intra-articular injection of some lidocaine anal- uh, anesthetic mm-hmm. or IV sedation where we give, you know, medication that it's more or less a hypnotic and an analgesic yeah. uh, mm-hmm. pain reliever. Right. Uh, or, you know, even a traditional interscaling block, which, you know, basically 
we more or less, you know, numb up the nerves going to the shoulder yeah. joint itself. And, you know, more or less, it's just completely numb. numb. Everything from there down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, depending upon the severity, depending upon the patient, the injury and, uh, you know, because a lot of times this is an acute injury. Right. You know, were they eating? You yeah. know, do they have food in their stomach? Right. Do, do we really want to put don't them? You do leave it out for that long. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, there's there so many different considerations for these injuries. Right. Um, that, you know, you do have to take a, a step back and say, all right, well, what's the best for this patient? So what do you think, you know, the, the best option you know, to, to, to put in this, yeah. th this type of uh, dislocation. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, kind of keeping this in, in a, in an athletic population. So let's say we're at, we're at the game and it happens in an athletic event, you know, mm -hmm. we're covering the game and whatnot. I feel like frequently the, the best chance is right there on the field. Right. Yeah. Like, like, so you, you run right out there and, um, it does help to have the right personality. Someone that can, 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 sort of a control can listen to you can calm yep. down because if they're fighting you intentionally or not if their muscles are tightening up mm -hmm. um it's going to be so much harder but you get the right personality you kind of talk talk them through it softly hey just relax kind of breathe focus on your breathing mm -hmm. you're kind of talking them through it and it's sort of the slow gradual pressure and there's there's a few different techniques for doing it mm -hmm. one is um one is your kind of standard traction counter traction you know you wrap a sheet or wrap something, a towel around uh, someone's uh, torso and someone else is sort of water skiing off the arm and the traction just pulls the ball out enough that it, then it can slide up over the, the, mm -hmm. the lip and um, plop back in. Uh, another one is the, the standard one, which, which really you don't do very frequent, frequently, is uh, this Hippocratic one where put it th throw your heel in his, in his armpit, you know, pushing on it with you. Problem is you can... You can cause an axillary nerve injury mm -hmm. when you do that. So that's the risk. We don't go to that quite as frequently. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple of other ones. One is called the um, uh, coker, where, where uh, it's hard to describe, but, but basically you flex the, the externally rotate the, mm -hmm. uh, the shoulder, you flex it up forward, and then you start to internally rotate again once it's up nice and high, and then it kind of clicks up and over again. And then the, the last one, it's actually a fairly a traumatic version sometimes it works the best you know what i'll typically do is try that traction counter traction mm -hmm. just, just by pulling with hand and just sort of slowly but surely do it and if that doesn't work then i'll usually take that athlete if they're calm to the to our like uh the the examining table yep. and lay them on their belly and then um have them grab a little bit of weight or something a little bit heavy while they're laying on their belly with their arm off the side of the okay. table the the stimson and sometimes you can even sort of manipulate the shoulder blade to a position that it allows the ball to kind of pop back around about mm -hmm. it's actually a pretty low traumatic and pretty well tolerated way of doing it mm -hmm. so running through all of that right let's say we do that not working it's locked it's not, we're not getting the sucker back in or the the patient is just out of their mind and and and, and i get it. the athletes are kind of out of their mind they're in pain they just can't control we go to the er and now we have a few different options right in the er um or if someone dislocated and I'm seeing them now for the first time in the ER, mm -hmm. um, I'll usually try a little bit the, the one of those techniques and see right. if I can get it in. And if I can't, I don't want to torture the person. So then pretty quickly, um, usually I go to the injection next, that, that lidocaine injection. Essentially, you fill, you fill the socket, which is pretty easy target to hit now because the ball is out of the socket. Right. Um, and you put a, some lidocaine in there or a similar medication. And it kind of numbs it all. And it's actually kind of surprising how well that works at yeah. taking away the pain. And, and sometimes instead of that, if, if we have 
and ER staff or docs that are ready to go and comfortable doing sedation. Sometimes we do sedation and do it. So right. it's one or the other. But if they ate, you know, we can't do the sedation. Then you do the lidocaine. And then if all that fails, to the OR. But then and that's where and then that's where Frank comes in. And that's where he does a block. And hopefully with a block, you can do it. Or mm-hmm. sometimes you need deeper sedation or whatnot. You know, sometimes it's happened, not not frequently in my career, but it has happened. They're they're locked. Yeah. You can't get it closed. And and then that particular person needs a surgery. You actually open it up. And when you do, um, you basically lever the ball off of the socket and it pops back in. And I hate to say those ones, right? You have to do that open reduction. Yeah. Frequently have a big something called it's called a hill sacks lesion. It's like a dent in the back of the ball of the you know, a dent in the back of a ping pong ball. They have a higher rate or tend to tend to have a lot more issues down the line. I think it's interesting, like, you know, on field, like I, I always kind of take a, a one try approach as an athletic trainer. Like yeah. if you're on there on the field, you're by yourself, whatever, it's how to give it a go. Out. You gotta give it a go. I, I'm 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 all for the counter traction traction uh method. I, I don't know my career stats. I think I'm like two for four or so, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you give it a shot. 50%. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, not, it's not terrible, right? It's, right? That's all-star MLB numbers right there. But, <laughs> you know, you give it a shot. You, you try your best. To, you know, I, yeah. I do like, and it's pretty significant because like Dr. Frey said, the, the athlete or whomever the patient is going to be completely discomfort. Right. You know, they're going to be in a lot of pain, this whole thing. So if you can get it back in, it's also, and I've also, I've also seen it as a student observing, doing other things. It's just like, it's almost like a little bit of distraction. Yeah. It's, most of the time, it's always on two, never three. It's like, okay, we're going to try to do this one, two, and it goes. They yeah. never get the three just yeah. to calm the athlete down yeah. or whatever. And it's not, and again, if it works, it works. I go I go with a slightly different approach when I do it. So, so uh, and I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, no, um, no. So, so first, if, if, if you're an athletic trainer and you're out there on the field, and you're going you're to give it a try. One, you want to feel around and, and, and you want to have a relative, you want to be pretty confident this is not like a proximal humerus fracture, not right. a broken bone, that right. it's actually a dislocated shoulder. So you feel like the concavity yep. there. Mm-hmm. And, and especially if it's happened to this person in the past, you're feeling right. pretty comfortable with what's going on. And then two, I find it's not so much that, that like kind of the jerk um, where you're, you're pulling hard, right. but it's, I, I, just, I just keep talking yeah. to the patient and like, like calming them down and soothing them and thinking about this and talking about yeah. that and get oh, your yeah. mind on the breath. And this slow leaning mm-hmm. and gradual, gradual, gradual pressure. Yeah. And then it's once, once we have a pretty good pressure, just, and, and like, and if you stay at it for like rotation a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to internally rotate and slowly externally right. rotate a little bit at the wrist while, while you're doing the, while you got your traction going. And if you stay at it, so what happens is lots of times is the muscles start to relax slowly. And as they do, it starts to, it starts to slide mm-hmm. just a little bit. And as soon as it does, as soon as they start to, sometimes they panic as soon as it slides and they tighten right back up. Right. Lots of times, all of a sudden, boom, pops right back yeah. in. And then they're so happy, man. Everything's different as soon, right. as, as, soon as, it, as soon as it pops back in. Right. So, and then I'll go into a quick story about shoulder dislocation. Yeah. So, a while ago when I was younger, I think I was in high school, we were in Colombia. My parent, my family's from Colombia. We are there. We're off the coast of Cartagena on, on a private island. So right. my family's there and we're playing sharks and minnows in the pool. My uncle dives at a tube, dislocates his shoulder. Uh. We're two hours offshore oh. on a private island and we're staying overnight in this little resort. Right. So his shoulder's out of place. He's dislocated and he's in writhing. You were pain. a kid. Wait, when did this happen? I was a sophomore in high school. All right. So we're talking, you know, I was very young, un, uneducated, had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't trying to reduce this shoulder by any of course means. Not. So he goes and... They have a small little island medical staff and he's in there. He goes into the medical thing. It's like off the resort. It's like in the backwoods somewhere. We're like, right. I don't know where he went, man. He's been gone for a few hours and he's just screaming in pain all night. We oh, they couldn't get man. it in. 
So we weren't planning to leave. The boat wasn't picking us up to the following day. So he get injured, you know, say midday on whatever day, the next day, the boat's coming. So all night he was dislocated. He was out of socket. Nothing could do it. No mad, anything they had on the island wasn't good enough. It wasn't happening. Right. So then he had to go back to the city. He got put under, under anesthesia to get it, put it back in. Ended up having a bunch of chronic shoulder dislocations. Did they have to open or were they able to it, do it under closed, anesthesia? Closed, under anesthesia and closed, thank, thankfully. Um, right. But he, he was a chronic one and he was dislocating in his sleep if he rolled over the wrong oh, way in bed. Wow, yeah, and like yeah. it was to the point yeah, where it was like, that. no, you, you got to get this fixed kind of deal. Right. And it was always interesting. Like when we talk about this, I always think about that story. It's like, oh man, I remember how much pain he was in. And I remember going back to the boat the day before he literally grabbed his arm and held it above his head. It was the only comfortable position he could put it in. He that walked was. Around, walked around like this. For, Seriously. Yeah. For about 20 hours. Because lots of times that's where it dislocates. Right. Yeah. And it's the only place he could get comfortable. And you know. You have these, I don't know who they were, Island Columbian doctors. I don't know how comfortable you guys would be in that situation, you know? Take what but, you can get, man. Yeah, right. But it was just I'll bet you they had thing. some good anesthesia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just some funny stories of, like, my lifestyle, my life and my career. But, yeah. you know, like you said, I, I give it a, a kind of like a one-try approach. If I if I sure. can get the, that traction and kind of calm the athlete down, it's a very much like a... You know, you're doing a lot of things at once. Your hands are doing one thing, your mouth and everything else yeah. is focused on them, trying to calm them down. Sure. And it's like a whole big situation. So always give it one shot. And then if not, then it's all right. We got to go. We got to go to the hospital. Someone else can do it. Well, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Not not to, you know, get off topic, but sure. to get back to the original injury. Right. right. Did he injure himself on turf or grass? And, and, and does that... <laughs> Do, do you do you see more injuries that way? Oh man, you're opening you know, up a whole I, I know I just opened like it up. Whole show. Uh, because I was watching ESPN uh -huh, the other morning uh -huh. and, and they were talking about this. Yeah. You know, like the injuries versus, you know, on turf versus grass. Right. And know? for the record, I, I kid you not, I texted Dr. Fred this morning. I Literally. Said, I said, I don't today. know who's gonna be the best person to discuss this with. Yeah. But oh, we may have we to dedicate a show okay. about turf and grass because it's it's a, a hotter topic now in the NFL, especially. Um you know, people go to Twitter, people go to social media and they report, oh, here goes another injury, yeah. a, a non-contact knee injury on turf. Or so that's the that? big thing, right? Yeah. Ankle injuries and, and, and non-contact mm -hmm. knee injuries or ACL tears. Yeah. And, and, you know, do they happen at a higher rate on turf and mm -hmm. versus graph? And that, that tends to be the big topic. So to be perfectly honest, it's sort of an interesting idea. I, I don't right. know if it's been looked at in terms of shoulders and I guess I should do my uh, my, my own due diligence I mean because I think he went down on turf right and I, and I would think you would that think it's a little harder and more yeah, like I mean, I mean yeah there, there's not going to be that give that that grass or, or, or dirt is mm -hmm. going to provide right 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 you know? yeah so and, and that's exactly the thought in terms of in terms of like ACL tears right like like yep. if, if if you plant your 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 foot and your cleats really grab um, if you're on turf and like it doesn't move at all are you more likely to wind up with that ACL tear whereas if you did it in grass and dirt where there's a just a little bit of give maybe you're less likely to have that not that it doesn't happen but then you can make the counter argument well what if the grass is a little less even you know like so so um it, it is a hotly debated topic and for a while especially like the old stuff the astroturf and it was looking right. like it was a much much higher rate like and then they started to convert over um but but it's, yeah this is a very very and, yeah, because i think to, to some degree i mean the, these professional athletes you know just should have some type of say in it right. right i mean but and this so just to 
background, this has happened with Chicago Bears versus the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is reported to have an artificial turf. So right. it was on a turf field, right? Right. And the big push is with all the buzz of the turf and grasses to get more grass in the stadiums and, you know, all their stuff like that. But what about the, the, the stadiums that are, that, you know, they're domes. Like, right. A lot of them are retractable, right? Like, so mm -hmm. you can have grass in there, but not all of them are. Right. I mean, I think... The one interesting stadium, if, if I'm not sure if any other stadiums do it, they may or may not, but I know I've seen videos of the Arizona Cardinal Stadium. Right. They wheel the whole thing outside. They got cool, crazy. It, it's crazy. Engineering, the, man. The whole thing. Yeah. It's on wheels. It goes outside. The it gets field. The, sun. the field. The field, the field itself. If, you, if you've never heard of this, please look it up. There's plenty of YouTube videos of time lapse of them installing and, and taking the grass out of the stadium. Yeah. But that's a, I'm pretty sure it's a retractable roof dome. I think and so. And same thing. But they play on grass. Right. So that's the, that's the argument of like these... You know, it's a multi-billion-dollar uh, business, so that I think they could afford the option to get yeah. whatever needs to be done to get the grass in the fields and other things like that. As we can continue to get off topic, like, like another one that blows my mind is is hockey slash basketball arenas. Oh yeah, and like you know, like how that quickly, temperature, yeah, yeah, and you convert like like oh, it was just it was just an ice like, yeah. and then you just slap everything on top of it, and like, oh no, they're playing basketball like like. Yeah. I don't know engineering. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> you got. I mean, it's 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 interesting interesting topic that's been buzzing around, and it's like you know, there's a lot of stuff. I know, um, being in the collegiate sports world for a little while in my career, we we've had turf and um, the turf stadium at an old college I was working at. It wasn't that good. Everyone complained about it. Oh, right. this turf sucks. Whatever. Yeah. And. You're supposed to get turf tested regularly and they, they come out with these ground reaction force and they drop this big heavy thing and they, they slam it on the ground and right. see what the forces the bath, are like yeah. to see if the rubber needs to be updated and brushed yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So I, I would strongly assume that the NFL is doing all this stuff on and, and all it. the numbers are meeting their standards or whatnot. But I mean, there's got to be something to say of like grass. It just has a different natural bounce in rubber. I'm not For really sure. sure or like what. And, th and then they're like <laughs> reports. Is that stuff for carcinogen? The, the people who've played on it for years right. and years, years in their entire like, like there, you know, there, there's not a story that is anywhere near being over at this point. But right, I suspect that, and this is pure speculation that there, like in the future, that the tendency of the trend will be back towards grass when yeah. we can. And I think it's actually was just recently reported. I'll double check this on my phone in a second, but. I think MetLife, where the Giants and Jets play, are just announced that they're flipping to grass coming the next next yeah. next season or next yeah. year. Some organizations are taking notice and they're, right. they're listening to whatever it is. And and I mean, yeah, like we said earlier, like Dr. Frey and I talked about this being its own dedication. Because it's it's a topic we could go down the weed, literally, pun intended, go down the weeds into. Right. You know. Well, listen, we we are located. We are at neck of the woods at turtle turf, turf. we we Total can go inside turf. right now we can right. tackle dr frey on the turf right and, and then go happens. outside to the grass and see if there's a difference <laughs> tackle me in both places see how it goes yeah right but before uh, we do that you you might want to try these two other beers round now. two here we go okay baby. because you know we got two heavy hitters here yeah. the first one is going to be our holiday ale which which is going to go into cans again next tuesday mm -hmm. and uh that's our ho 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 Coquito. Oh, and, and tell me, what what is Coquito? I had no idea what Coquito was until right. about three years ago. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, working where I, you know, work in, in the Vineland area, there's, there's a large population of Puerto Rican patients who come through. Mm -hmm. And 
there just happened to be somebody who was working there who his his mother and grandmother had a recipe for this coquito. And that's right. the best recipe. You find a if someone says a grandmother oh, recipe, yeah. you know it is the best. Oh, this was <laughs> this was totally legit. What oh, is yeah. coquito like? What's so coquito of- has uh your your coconut mm-hmm. in there. It's it's flavored with some rum, so you you definitely get that alcohol there. Now, not in our beer. Okay. Right. This is the original drink we're talking about. But you got your co your coconut, your vanilla, you have cinnamon. some cinnamon yep. in there, some nutmeg in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it is just such a delicious, I would say more of a dessert style. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know, you know, drink because it is yeah. definitely filling. Yeah. So creamy. It's, it's, yeah. it's really have good. Have you guys yeah. had horchata? Never. Horchata no. is a Mexican drink, but it's more of like a rice drink, rice okay. milk drink. And um, very similar type type stuff where where where. But 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 again, it's rice milk. So so is that maybe that's where the the fundamental difference is. That, that stuff's good too, man. Yeah. So we, we, we just wanted to create you know something a little bit different, right. just to kind of give uh, you know homage to to that you know population. It, it's it's a phenomenal drink, and then you know the beer was basically originally two years ago when I made it, it was a sour style beer. Right. Okay. Okay. But coquito itself isn't necessarily a tart style. Right. right? It's more of a sweet style. Mm-hmm. So this year. I did change the recipe a little bit to eliminate the tartness yeah. and, and make it more sweet forward. Okay. okay. So so we're looking at coconut, we're looking at cinnamon, we're looking at nutmeg, and a little bit of vanilla bean here. Okay. I do I do love myself some sours. Yeah. Sours and, 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 and sweeter stuff. Like so I'm I tell you what, I, I actually didn't really like sours until until I started drinking the sours in neck of the woods, to be completely honest with you. And just you realize what it could and be. And then I was like, wow, there's a lot of potential here. And I'm right. starting to take a deep dive. And obviously, the best ones are here. So you, if, you, if you're listening, you got to get to neck of the well, woods and try the sours. Heck yeah. Let's do a little cheers here. Cheers to there. Thank you. Oh, wow. man. That is good. Cinnamon, smooth, and not super sour. You're right. Wow. Yeah. Nice I mean, we, we, we kind of eliminated. The t- there is a little bit of tartness there. Just a touch, just but, a touch. But I think yeah. the sweetness kind of, you know, overpowers that a little. I it's remember really the like... first version of this, and it was more sour. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look, I, I listen to people and what they say about our product. Right. You know, and I, I genuinely am concerned about manufacturing the best that I can do. And right. if and if you know people are interested in saying, you know, hey, I, I think that maybe. This might work a little bit better. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm open ears. So this sounds maybe a ridiculous statement here, but right, the, those first two beers we had were, were, were awesome. But if you're talking about like a holiday beer, beer that nails, you know, Christmas and the holidays and whatnot, like, that's it, man. This like, is that, it. This that is, is really it's yeah, an that, interesting that, flavor. Like, right? I can't really. I'm tiny bit cinnamon. Yeah. I'd almost even say like. Is there, um, Egg, not in the eggnog. What? What? what uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. like more the so, coconut. I think that, coconut. The creamy. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so initially, and, and the, a little bit. So, so well, initially, perfect that you brought that up because initially the recipe had lactose sugar in. Okay. And as I kind of deep dove into just healthier lifestyles, this, that, and the other thing, and yeah, you know, I, I had people who were lactose intolerant coming up. Oh, I love your beers, but especially your sours. But when you put lactose in it, I can't drink it. Yeah. How about that? So I said, you know what? I'm going to make that beer without the lactose and manipulate the brewing process in a way to contain some of the residual sugars mm-hmm. that's going to give it the same body and mouthfeel that lactose had in it, 
without factors. Sweet. And it definitely does. It really, yeah. I don't, like, it's so good. It's literally a Coquito beer. It's, yeah. It's, it's the best way to describe it. If you right. really just take Coquito. I haven't had Coquito. I've never yeah. drank, so I'm excited. You know. So if, so describe it backwards then. It's like this, but more creamier. Like right. if, just a, like kind of like an eggnog. Like if you picture this with a little eggnoggy kind of like yeah. texture to it, yeah. that's what it is. And with like a, I've always had it sweet and very I bet cinnamon. it's very similar to a yeah. horchata. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is really good. So we, we make sure that we have this out for the entire Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making sure that it spills over into January. Yeah, I well. got to tell you, man, yeah, you nailed it in terms of like holiday. I like guess. And, and the flavor of that is very, very good. And that now. Is. Well, you, you got to try two of our other beers today mm-hmm. that we make specifically for the Thanksgiving time. Right. Which was our No OJ, No Straw. Yep. Which is going to be our sour style milkshake IPA mm-hmm. that we make with cranberry and orange juice. Oh, wow. Then you had the cranberry cinnamon sour as I well. Did. Or yeah. cranberry plum yeah. cinnamon sour. And both were phenomenal. And again, and it's funny because, you know, we come here and uh, prior to the last couple of shows where Frank's been on, I've just kind of gone up to the, the, the menu and just kind of look whatever. At Tonight, I just said, you know what? Frank's like, you like sours, right? And he goes, I was like, yeah. He goes, all right, I got this. I was like, whatever you say. And he yeah, hasn't let me it. wrong. Yeah. hasn't let me wrong yet. You know what I mean? Everything's been that, great. That was the part that I loved. When we first opened this place and I had the flexibility of working behind the bar. Right. That was great because yeah. somebody came in and they never had craft beer before. And it was like, let's talk. Right. You right. know, because I want to dissect this and I want to make sure that I provide you with the best right. experience. Yeah. Right, right, right. Here's a Coors Light. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Never, never, never. All right, let's do it. Let's look. can can we please try this one that I've right, just been so looking been, at the whole night. Yeah, Steve's been <laughs> watching this one for a long time. So right. this this deserves credit because um, there's a lot that went into this guy here. So this is a 12% imperial stout. Okay. That was I'm going to I'm going to snooze right there before we leave tonight. Yeah, yeah right. Just taking small yeah. samples yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. This was put into a Four Roses bourbon barrel. Oh, for the love of God. And it got to sleep in there for about 13 months. Wow. We took it out about three weeks ago, put it into our stainless steel, and then started adding some adjuncts in there. We started with some dark chocolate. Right. Now, the beer itself already had some dark chocolate notes from the, the, the malt that was in there, but we added some more. A little bit of vanilla, a little bit of marshmallow, which is a pain in the butt to work with. <laughs> Couldn't imagine. Yeah, it's more or less the marshmallow fluff. So they send it to us. We get it in a five-gallon bucket, and we right. just kind of scoop the stuff out, and Throw it in somehow there. it dissolves in there. My fluff and nutters used to be tough to make when I was a kid, so I can only imagine how challenging yeah. it is. Yeah, and, and then finally Using grain. five gallons of it. <laughs> so this is our s'mores variation yeah. at a 12% imperial style bourbon barrel age stout i'm psyched let's so, do this. i like porters i like stouts um i'm really excited to taste this yeah uh, so this is the granddaddy right 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 thank you you're welcome it's got a dark dark color to it heck yeah it smells great yeah you get a lot of bourbon notes right up yep, front here. right up front and like sure. you said not a lot of carbon in there Mm-hmm. We let it sit for a little while. So, so. And yes. this this doesn't get added carbonation to it? or like So not, it does. It does. Okay. Like at the 2.4 volumes of carbonation. So, you know, the lager that we were drinking mm-hmm. earlier, 
That was about 2.7. Okay. So considerably less. Okay. All right. Well, All right. Cheers. Cheers, cheers to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Man. It, I love it. It's sweet. Which is, you know, that, 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 that's where I sit, right? Like, I like that. I yeah, that's that good. Too. Well, if you're going to have a s'more, it's thick, it is sweet. It you got to have that chocolate. Right. You got to have that sweetness. It is chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Right. You get a little bit of everything there. Right. Yeah. And as you let it warm up, like we have. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you buy this beer, do not take it out of the refrigerator, pour it into a glass and drink it. Mm-hmm. You must let this thing settle for about a half hour at room temperature. Let it chill. All right. Sit. So, 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 so yeah. warm up a little bit and then it really kind of opens up. That's good, man. That is good. That's really freaking good. I, I hate to go back to this one, but there's, it's like, you got the underlying sweetness, the chocolatey, and then like caramel butteriness. And, and like, like uh, I don't know. Then like the hint of the bourbon. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's all, if you focus on one, you taste it more, right? Speaking of, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Right. And, and speaking of Four Roses bourbon, what, you guys know what Philly staple of a movie Four Roses uh, is featured prominently in? Come on, man. Mm. Come on, man. I didn't even grow up in Philly. <laughs> I'm not sure. Come on, no. Rocky. The really? brother-in-law. What's his name? Uh, the brother-in-law. That's Paul. what he's always... Paul. 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 Yeah. Paul. He's always carrying a bottle of Four Roses. Wow. Now, now Four Roses has different qualities, but Four Roses is pretty good. The, the, the good stuff is pretty good bourbon. So it's funny you brought that up because my buddy, when we first started this brewing process in yeah. my garage, yeah. he was part of a New Jersey's bourbon club yeah. where they would source out bourbon barrels mm-hmm. directly from the distillery mm-hmm. they would have it shipped to new jersey all bottled up and they would send a barrel so he said frank would you be interested in brewing a beer for my bourbon club yeah and i said absolutely oh yeah so in my garage with that equipment that's sitting up right behind us that's mm-hmm. pretty awesome right we there brewed a batch i think it was 12 percent mm-hmm. we called it charred rose and uh, and that was our first bourbon barrel beer we ever aged in my garage for over a year. Wow! And we bottled that, and there was 270 uh, bottles that were were, were uh, bottled for that. How long did you do this before you took it pro? Before you before you uh, about four years. And actually, with that beer, interesting side story. Since this is a sports podcast, heck too. yeah, man, um, too. <laughs> yeah. The focus has changed. Yeah. So so back uh, when uh, Carson Wentz injured himself as an eagle mm-hmm. with his back injury. Okay. The first of many. Little little off off little quietness here. He came to Total Turf facility to do a little bit of rehab. All right. Mm. So we were just opening the brewery there, and he came in and he toured the brewery. All right. And Go I ahead. said, Carson, I've been holding on to certain bottles to possibly give the people that you know mean something right and sure enough i had a bottle that was numbered with his number on it really and i was able to give that to him he was so good at that point he was although i will say as he was walking down the hallway Mm -hmm. in front of me i thought i could tackle him (laughs) i thought i could bring that guy down right right yeah many people do unfortunately yeah 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 you know and it's it's a little frustrating. I feel, I feel I feel for the guy. He's now lost his his starting position yeah. out in uh, in uh, Washington, and and you know I think I think he's getting criticized. People looking at him as a bust, and you know I, I hate to, Mark Helfoltz. That, that was a bust, right? That, that was a mistake uh, yeah. of a pick. And there, there's a there's a bunch of others that go down the line. 
Wentz got hurt, man, and he wasn't the same player afterwards. And no. you could call him a bust, but but I really don't think he was ever the same player after his injuries. And yeah, that happens. I don't I don't think it's a bust. I don't think it was a bad move. Unlucky. I it was unlucky. It was unlucky. Yeah, unfortunately. And is he ever going to be as good as he was again? I think at this point it's pretty clear he's not going to be. But uh, yeah. man, yeah, tough, tough, tough break. But like we talked about last time, you know, when you when you get a sport injury, are you necessarily a hundred percent when you come back, even mentally? Yeah, right. You know, yeah. I mean, some guys are. It's amazing. Some, 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 you know, fortitude and strength of mind and whatnot. Yeah. But most people are forever different. And I used, to, I talked about this when I was in college when I was wrestling. I used to talk about it with one of my buddies that I had grown up with, and it's, it sounds crazy, and I, and I almost wonder if I had it wrong. Where I would say, you know, once someone gets hurt, once they're out for a little while, you could never be the same. That's what I would tell them. You could never be the same again. Right. And I would, and I thought it was the disruption in your training that makes you never quite the same again. Mm-hmm. And and like, like you kind of train your whole life through. And I, you know, yeah. and, and I wrestled in college and I tore my meniscus and I was I was never the same again. And I chalked it up to that. But in hindsight, in retrospect, you know, I wonder, if, is, is it just the mental aspect? Or is it something right. else that, that, is that why you're never the same again, as opposed to the, the disruption in your training, missing six months when you've never missed six months in your life before kind of a thing? So to go with that, I would almost say I agree, but I also disagree in that certain athletes, in, in a sense, also sometimes need that time off right. to fix the things that made them. Occasionally that occasionally, goes in that direction. Primarily right. like. Primarily like a baseball player who yeah. gets Tommy John. They need that, that's like the best example. It's like, oh, they're actually doing a lot of all this stuff. They ha- Oh, because they had a whole year to work on their shoulder strength, strength and all this stuff. And they relook at their mechanics and literally yeah. start from the ground up and relearn how to do all this stuff. It's that's like, the one injury where that yeah, works. You're that, right. They're refocused. That, that's like, I think, one of many I mean, or one of few rather. All right. Um, we'll say that's the classic the class- example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so, no, I, I agree and disagree in that sense of like sometimes you need that time off because for those chronic injuries, I think is is really what it is. Acute right. injuries that happen uns- spontaneously. For example, Carson Wentz, he dove into the end zone towards ACL, LCL, whatever right. the case was. Yeah. You know, he that was a normal play for him to just try to get the touchdown. Doing his best. Doing his best. Team. And then it changes. And then so then you the mental aspect he's in that situation again yeah. does he make that same dive and that same effort or does he just slide down and just say oh we'll yep. do the next play right, right, next right. play doesn't well, work then you don't score and and also look at it from the other standpoint of me being the defender and knowing that you have a weakness right right you know are they playing off of that too mm-hmm. right, saying right, right, right. you know hey carson i know you're not 100 percent right yeah. now yeah you know who knows what they're saying down there i mean sometimes they're mic'd up but right. yeah you know, I mean, a lot of that we we're not privy to. Right, mm-hmm. totally. And Ben Simmons, very interesting. Is it, uh, so we're recording okay. on a Tuesday night. Ben Simmons is here tonight. Kind of yeah. curious. Yeah, it's oh. ironic you say that. And in in the brewery right now, we have the the Nets and the Sixers playing. Ben Simmons returned to Philly, so there's the mental aspect of that. And then on top of that, the injuries he's had and all the things, that, yeah. the whole Ben Simmons saga, if you will. Yeah. Which he did say. Philadelphia has very good fans. You yeah. know, like he, he made sure that He's he said right that things. today. Uh-huh. Right things. Yeah. Yeah. He was saying yeah. the right things. Yeah. But how about the Sixers team? Just it's like foot injury central. What yeah. in the heck is going on yeah. there? It's that ice hockey rink underneath it. <laughs> Their feet are cold. Literally cold feet, you know? <laughs> Literally Maybe we're on to something. Cold. Yeah. All right. So so to, before, to, to wind it down and wrap it up, because we're pretty deep into it here, man. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm kind of curious. To get each one of your thoughts, right? And we—I I don't think I talked too much about the 
AC joint separation. Right. We kind of went a little deeper into the whole dislocation. Right, right, right. And, and, and honestly, I, I could do four shows about this. I can get into so many details. Mm -hmm. You could go into Bancroft lesion, Hagel lesion, Alps lesion. How do you fix it? Like, there's so many different directions we can go and we could be here all day but but so <laughs> we'll save that for the future however given the the speculation um and the uncertainty about what his actual injury was what, what justin field's actual injury was do you think it was ac do you think it was ac joint or do you think it was uh glenohumeral dislocation i'm leaning more towards the ac yeah, yeah. what about what about you Randy? i think i'm going to lean towards that as well only because from the little bit we saw, there was a video of him getting carted off, and he was rubbing his right, shoulder right. right on that AC joint area. And that, yeah. that, you mean, it happens when you hurt something, you yeah. tend to rub it, right? Yeah. And so I would venture to say that. But yeah. with that, though, granted, great, it's not a dislocation, doesn't have an instable shoulder, but that joint takes a lot of the, longer. Right. That joint takes a lot of the brunt of the force when you're a running quarterback and right. you're getting hit a lot. Right. You know, and it's not going to be the same where you're going to, you're not going to be able to lower your shoulder and get that extra couple, yeah. couple yards or whatever. You're going to be sliding more often or, you know, it's just, it's going to change the game a little bit for you. Yeah, him. because that's a great point because most people are going to say, well, that's not his throwing arm. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. But yeah. if you're if you're if you're lowering your shoulders to, to absorb impact, then yeah. it doesn't matter if you're throwing over. Now. So I'd venture to say that like, you know, if they reported that Tom Brady had a non-throwing shoulder AC joint sprain, it would not affect his game as much as it would someone like a Justin Fields who yeah. is averaging, I don't know, whatever it is. Are you getting... calling Tom Brady a statue? Uh, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, he's he's not running 80 plus yards a game or, you know, he's, they're not, the Buccaneers aren't making calls to have designed quarterback runs for Tom Brady, although they did that wonky um, quarterback pass a couple, whatever that was, a couple weeks ago and he fell. Yeah, and it was just <laughs> ugly. So yeah, I think it's, it's part of the who the player is, right, and the style of play. And with sure. that AC joint, the AC joint injury, separation, sprain, whatever the case may be, yeah. um, pending when it, it's if it's ever officially diagnosed and reported, yeah. I mean, it's going to change his game a little bit. And then if you tailor your your scheme to a passing game yeah. for a running quarterback, it's going to yeah. change a lot for the Chicago sure. Bears, big time. I think overwhelmingly it looks AC joint over. Shoulder right. dislocation. Yeah, it, it does. It does. Mm -hmm. And sometimes surprising stuff happens, and we don't have access to his information. But but I do. And the, the plus and minus of that, a mild AC joint will get back pretty quickly. Right. A more severe AC joint, he would be out longer than if it were glenohumeral right. dislocation. Mm -hmm. Like 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 the the surprising irony there. Um, and um, so that's the one thing that gives me just an ounce of pause. From saying you know 99% certainty it's his it's, it's his uh, AC joint, yeah. the fact that they're talking about him possibly coming back this week, so if they are, if that actually happens and it was his AC joint, it was a mild AC joint, yeah. because typically you're out a little bit longer with with, with your AC um, if if it's a more significant injury. Right, and because then like you know game prep from an athletic trainer standpoint, you're trying to pad that thing up. You're trying right. to you're, you're not really. You can't tape it. You can't right. tape an AC joint. You can't tape a shoulder to not dislocate. I mean, it you is can what it is. you can put some ace wrap, do a little spike job yeah. on there, but it's not going to increase the stability, or it's not going to decrease that pain when you have a 300 pound lineman falling on that shoulder right. every so often for you know 60 minutes on a Sunday. It's it's not going to be the same. And if he did happen to sublock, which we don't think that he did, but right. not dislocate, not his AC joint, but actually just kind of slid the ball a little bit and bounced back. Yeah. He'll be in a brace. He'll be yeah. in a solid brace. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Do you ever do steroids at that point sure. too? I mean, um, I tend not to. I okay. try to stay away from steroids on the acute injury there. Mm -hmm. I want to try to give them the best chance to heal, and I think it does impact some of that healing. Um, so typically, I don't. Um, sometimes, 
you know, it does come into play in a specific situation and, you know, you got to get them back. You know, this is a really important game and whatnot. But I tend to try to shy away from that, in that, that acute injury setting. I don't want him. To, I don't want it to be worse. I don't want him to create a problem that, you know, could have missed two or three games, or now his career is screwed. You know. So yeah, and I, I mean, the, the Chicago Bears are three and eight. So, right. I mean, what are they? What are they fighting for at this rate? Right. I mean, and he's got potential. You want him right. to do well. That's going to wrap up our show tonight. Before we close out our tab, as always, we want to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, with our eight locations and our focus on your approach for all your orthopedic needs. The Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination and center, located here in Pittman, New Jersey. And Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, serving us the coldest beers and the best beers in the area, in my opinion. And lastly, Timber Rear Productions, helping us produce this awesome podcast and getting it to your ears wherever you are listening to this. So again, we thank you. We wish everyone a happy holiday season as we're a few days away from Thanksgiving. Stay safe out there and we'll be back soon.